Good morning, New Life Church. So glad you're here on this beautiful long weekend. Joy to worship with you. I've had an unusually high number of questions about this new beard of mine this morning, and um, which has me second-guessing myself a little bit. So I'm just going to take a straw poll, all right? If you think it should keep on going, raise your hand. All, all the men with big beards and, and a few ladies. And um, if you think it should go, raise your hand. Where's my wife? Yeah, her hand is up. Her hand is the only one that matters. And her, that's why you've been keeping your distance, I've been wondering. But um, all right. Got the message, but uh, it's good to be together, and uh, this is a bit big week uh, for kids and for teachers particularly. How many of you kids in the room are going back to school this week? Raise your hand. Got a few here, up there. Who's going to school? Anyone going to the school for the very first time? Going into kindergarten? They're probably all in the sunroom if they're going. This one's hiding in the front. You're going to school for the first time? Are you excited? <laughs> okay. It's, it's going to be so amazing. And was there someone over here? You are going to school for the first time? I bet your older sisters kind of told you all about it. You're going to be ready to go. Good. Well, we'll be praying for you kids as you go back. It's going to be a good year. We trust and God's going to be with you. And let me just challenge you, whether you're a young kid or whether you're some of the teenagers, you know, uh, you have an opportunity to bring the light of Jesus into your schools and to be different. And you have a mission from God, students, um, not just the way you kind of carry yourself and act in your schools, but, but how you care for one another as, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, as Christians. Like, bring that love we have of the family here into your schools and, and, show, and show others what uh, the community of Jesus looks like. So just go into your schools on mission I know some of you, you're headed back into the classroom as teachers, administrators, praying for you, and, and some of you have taken on the mantle of homeschooling. God bless you. You felt that call, and it's, it's, um, it's one that you don't take lightly, and it comes with a lot of responsibility, and I know there's some of you in the room, and you're doing that again, or maybe for the very first time and uh, this, this week, and uh, may God be with you as you instruct your kids. So let me ask you a question. What have you seen or experienced in life that has filled you with wonder or with awe? How have you experienced wonder by what you have seen or experienced at different points in life? And uh, I'm not even sure how you define what wonder or awe means. I, I just Googled it because I, I, I think we... We probably know what we're talking about. We know that feeling of being struck with awe, with wonder, even if we can't describe what that means or how to define that. Google says it's a, it's a sense of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, inexplicable. I think we've all experienced wonder at different times for different reasons. Um, there's something called the, the seven wonders of the world. I remember when I was 15 years old, standing on the Great Wall of China, I had this incredible experience to go to Mongolia and China, and I, and I visited the Great Wall, and 
Sometimes these incredible experiences are wasted on the young, <laughs> right? You think, I had no idea what I was experiencing in the moment. I thought life was full of these experiences. I probably didn't fully appreciate it in the moment, but, but I do remember being on that wall constructed, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of years ago, and just how it snaked up these steep hillsides, this incredible wall, and just kind of being amazed, awestruck by that and, and the feeling it kind of evoked in me. And I know some of you, you've stood at the base of um, the pyramids and other uh, seven wonders of the world. I remember feeling this kind of wonder and awe when I saw my daughters come into the world. My wife tells me it wasn't just wonder and awe, um, and it was, it was a bit of a scary experience, but just to see my child, like to see my wife do that was incredible, and then to see this, this child that was mine come into the world and hold like, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, that feeling of wonder and awe. Remember going to a football game, Universe or uh, uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish, love football, at a stadium of about 100,000 people all in unison, chanting and jumping together. And I just remember that feeling, that energy. It was just a sense of kind of wonder and awe in that moment. All these people together. I don't know if you saw this last week. Um, one of you had posted online that I think Wednesday night was the last super blue moon until 2037. I'd never heard of a super blue moon, but apparently it's a special thing and it's not going to be around for another 14 years. So my wife and I, we were walking in Quarry Park at dusk and, and we kind of stood and we looked at this moon and we were kind of awestruck. Their little boy went by on his bike with his friend and uh, didn't see us there, but he said, oh, wow, look at that moon. Maybe you saw it. We've all experienced wonder in the world. In fact, David, uh, King David, uh, who is also shepherd boy David, who spent a lot of time under the stars with his sheep, he too is filled with wonder at a variety of things, but he was filled with wonder when he looked up at the night sky. And for him, as he looked up at the night sky and the constellations and the stars and the comets and all, he saw that moon um, for him, it, 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 it spoke of the glory of God, and it filled him with wonder. And so he wrote, he wrote a poem or a song, and we call these psalms. Um, Psalm 19, he, he writes about this wonder he experiences by, by beholding the glory of God in creation around him. And, and then as we continue in the psalm, he writes about another wonder that stirs within him this emotion, this joy that we're going to look at together this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 19. We're going to read it together. We're going to look at these, uh, we're going to see that there's these two very different ways that God, according to David, has revealed His glory to us, things that should strike us with wonder. Um, and uh, we, we talked about the first half last week. We're going to look at the second half this week, but we're going to read it right through Psalm 19. You'll see the words up on the screen there as well. These are the words of David written about 3,000 years ago. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. And now you see this shift. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So if you were here last week, you know that we settled on those first six verses where David spoke about the glory that God reveals of himself through the world he has made, through creation, and how that speaks something about who he is, that through it we can come to to understand, to believe that there's a God, there is a God, a God who is there, who made it all. And as much as scientists have tried to find another explanation, they just haven't. Creation cries out that there is a creator, that there is a God who is there, and this God who is there is an an exceedingly powerful God. So creation cries out these truths of God, and David talks about this, and we looked at that last week, what we can kind of learn of God through the world he has made. But David, as much as he's awestruck by the wonder he sees in the sky... There's a greater source of wonder even than that to David, something that, according to him, was more precious than even the most pure gold. And of course, kind of like today too, but even back then, like gold was the thing of highest worth. So when he says there is something that is more precious than the purest gold, he's saying there is something that is of greatest ultimate worth. And he says there is something that is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And we all know what honey tastes like. We like it. It's good, right? We, we use it on our Ralkuken, right? God's gift to the Mennonites to give to the world. Ralkuken with, with honey. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, it's easy for us to go, yeah, okay, we get it. Honey is sweet. Lots of stuff is sweet. But you kind of have to understand back in his day, like, they couldn't go to the corner store and just get, like, a, like a one-kilogram Rogers packet of sugar, we take sugar for granted. It wasn't that long ago. It, it was, they didn't know what sweet tasted like. It was hard to get sweet. And when your tongue tasted really sweet, that was an incredible experience. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of like the jungles of Indonesia somewhere where these tribes risk their lives. These guys like climb up these vines hundreds of feet into these massive trees because that's where the honey, the hives are, where, where they harvest. They take down these big chunks of honeycomb. Right, because they've discovered that way up there in the trees is something incredible that they can't really find anywhere, this sweet substance, and they risk their lives to climb up there to get it. So if you think of David's day, like that was pretty incredible. And he's saying, as, as great as honey, as sweet as that is to the lips, there is something that is even sweeter than the sweetest honey. A source for him of, of greatest wonder. And what is that thing of highest worth of, that brings greatest pleasure and greatest joy? What is it? 
the law of the Lord, the Bible. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, that was a letdown, or was it? I mean, I remember being, I don't know, I was a 15-year-old. If I think back, it's like the worst. I shouldn't put it that way. The Christmas presents that I was the most disappointed in, two come to mind. The chess set. I still don't know what my parents were thinking. Never expressed any interest in chess. It's, too, it's a game for smart people. I don't like it. You have to think. It hurts the head. And the, other, the second thing that brought disappointment was when I got that Bible. Right? I already had one. This was a better one. I opened it. Ah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. You know what I'm talking about? When we look at this, when we hold this, when we read this, do we experience what David is talking about? Do we experience wonder? When we hold it, when we read it, do we think this is more precious than the most purest gold? This is sweeter than the sweetest substance, the Word of God. I don't know. If we're being honest, do, do we feel that wonder in God's Word? Because David says, hey, as, ma- as amazing as the universe is, man, this is even more wonderful. This is more awesome. M- maybe we lack wonder in God's Word today because for us it's just become kind of taken for granted, kind of mundane, right? It's a book. We got lots of books. I did a Google search. How many books are there in the world today? Uh, the stat's a little old. Now, with self-publishing on Amazon, I think this number has gone up fairly substantially. But uh, back about 10 years ago, um, Google did a study. They tried to find that exact number. They came up with 129,864,880 books. Okay, there's probably a few more since then, right? An awful lot of books in the world. <laughs> and I don't know if that we think of libraries as wonderful places. But did you know, if you look at the seven ancient wonders of the world, one of them is the Library of Alexandria. Can you imagine that today? Seven wonders of the world. Stonewall Public Library. Yeah. And I bet Stonewall Public Library has more books than the Library of Alexandria ever had. But back 300 BC, Ptolemy II, he was the the king, the ruler of Egypt. He was on a mission to gather all of the knowledge of the world. So he sent out his, his his royal agents throughout the known world to gather all the books they could find, and where they found scrolls to like copy it and bring it back to house it in this great library in Alexandria, Egypt. Scholars think there was anywhere between 40,000 to 400,000 books housed here. Because you have to understand, like back in the day, a book was pretty remarkable. It wasn't like this. It was like a scroll, right, on a, on a parchment. And that was a pretty incredible thing. People just didn't have books. They didn't see books. And so when a ship came into the port of Alexandria, it was his royal decree that his agents would search the ship. And if they found a book on the ship, they confiscated the book, they brought it back to the library, and they copied it before it could go back. Okay? So they tried to house all of this knowledge as they gathered all the books because that was a pretty special thing, the knowledge that was contained in these various scrolls. People didn't have access to books, and even until not that long ago, they didn't really have access to the written word either, to the Bible. I mean, you probably have four sitting on your shelf. And if you don't have any, 
please, we'd love to give you one because you need one. Um, but, you know, you probably, like me, have, have a bunch. And, you know, we're kind of used to the idea that at, you know, a moment's notice we can take the Bible and we can open it and we can read it. But it wasn't that long ago that for people to hear the Word of God, they actually had to come to a building like this and there was a guy at the front, he was the only literate guy, and he opened something and he told them what God said. Some people felt that ought not to be the way they wanted to democratize the Word of God. It was for all people. So that led them in 1440 to invent the Glutenberg printing press, right, so that they could print Bibles and get the Word of God into the hands of people. And that revolutionized the world. It sparked the Protestant Reformation, right? When people could see for themselves what God had said, that was incredible to them. But maybe not to us so much. It can seem kind of mundane, like I say, because we have so many and they only cost 20 bucks. And you can actually even get it on your iPhone now at a click of a button. But if you got a text message from God, would you read it? Would you want to know what it had to say? Would that be important to you? You ever seen someone, you're in a meeting and their phone goes off, ding, and then you see the perspiration, the sweat? How long is it going to take for them to check their phone to see who it is, see what it says? It's kind of fun to watch, right? If you got a ding and it said, God, would you want to read it? So I wonder for us if this which we believe to be the Word of God, for a variety of reasons, which are, is a series of other sermons. I wonder if for us we have maybe lost a sense of how incredible, how wonderful this is. The way it struck David as wonderful to have the very words of God. Why did David think God's Word was so precious and so sweet? Well, I think it's because in God's Word, God was revealing Himself personally. He was making Himself known to us personally who He is and what His will is for our lives. He was making that known. He was revealing Himself and His way. It's interesting when you look here in Psalm 19, those first six verses where David is talking about the glory of God in creation... He references God. He always, uh, I think it's two or three times, he calls God, God. The heavens declare the glories of God. Now, maybe you've heard this before in other sermons, but that word God there in Hebrew is the word El. It wasn't a word that was special to the Israelite people or to, the, or to their religion. It was just what people everywhere called God in, in the Near East. Just like today, around the world, a lot of people talk about God in a very general sense. What he says here is, the heavens declare the glory of God. But you see this interesting transition. As soon as he starts talking about the word of God, he doesn't say the word God anymore. He uses the word, what does it say? Lord. Capital L, capital R, O. <clears throat> I should go back to kindergarten. L O R D which maybe you know if you see capital L-O-R-D, that's translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. What was Yahweh? Yahweh was the personal name of God. Remember when Moses came up to the mountain 
God, you're sending me on this mission. What if they ask who you are? What, what kind of God is El? God, he says, I am Yahweh, the God who is compassionate and kind, abounding in mercy, quick to forgive, yet not letting the guilty go unpunished. Yahweh. So this is very important. When he talks about God revealing himself in creation, he refers to him as God. When he talks about encountering God in God's word, he is Lord. The transition is to God who's revealing himself, not in a general sense, but in a very personal way. In other words, in God's word, we get the fuller sense of who God is as Lord, as Yahweh who He is, what type of God He is, and what His will is for those He has made, you and me. God has not kept Himself concealed behind like a, 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 a frosted glass where we see a shadow, but He has revealed His character and His nature and His will through His Word. So the first word you should think of when you think of the Bible is love. Love. Because you hear the word law. I don't know what the word law is. The law of the Lord is perfect. Ugh, law, highway traffic code. That's like a cold word. It's not personal. It's something distant governing powers. They dictate to you. Law. Okay, that word there actually in the Hebrew is the word Torah. If you know Jews, that's what they call their Bible, their Old Testament. They call it the Torah. And, and that's, it's not like law, like our government has these laws. It's actually the word used for a father's instruction to his children, right? It's like parental guidance. It's like, you're young. I've been there. You're not that wise. I've been in that situation before. I know. Daddy is going to tell you what you need to know as you go through life to live well, to experience the best out of life. It's like, it's, and, and that, that instruction of a mother or a father to a child is what? Is love. A, a parent that doesn't do that is a bad parent, a neglectful parent. And so this word, the law of the Lord is perfect. That's the word Torah. That's the fatherly, the parental instruction of God to us is perfect. So when you think of the Bible, you, firstly, we have to think of love, God's love. God loved you and the world so much, He has not kept Himself hidden and us wondering who He is by seeing Him in the clouds and in the sky and under microscopes, but He has made Himself known and He's made His will known because He has revealed Himself in His way in His Torah. In his word, it is his love. David says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. Kind of reminds you of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. That word soul there means kind of psyche, means self. It keeps the, our identity, who we are, whole. And without God telling us who we are, it's like we have a fragmented self. And even today, they say, you know what, poverty's bad, 
uh, lack of education is bad. There's lots of all contributors towards crime, prostitution, and all these sort of things. But studies have found, and it's an uncomfortable truth for many, but studies have found fatherlessness is the number one indicator of, all, of, of these ills. The lack of loving care and instruction, an example, leads to a fragmented self. But because God has revealed Himself in His way for us, it refreshes our soul. It restores self. We can know who we are. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Are you simple? That word simple, some of you shaking your head, some of you going, yeah, he is. Um, that word simple is, simply means they're ignorant, they're naive, they don't know any better, right? Um, God's word makes the simple wise. It gives them the knowledge they need to live rightly and to know God rightly. And so you will have David in second, I think the verse is up there, second Timothy three verse um, 15. David is writing to, or sorry, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus. He says, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you what? Wise for what? Salvation through what? Faith in who? Christ Jesus. Okay? Paul's saying, you know, the Scriptures, and of course at that point it was just, they just had what we have as the Old Testament. He says, in there is everything you need, Timothy, and anyone else needs to be made wise, to prepare the mind and the heart to be saved. To come to into right relationship with God, not through actually doing a good enough job by keeping the law, but by, but by coming to understand who Jesus is as the perfect one God has sent as Lord and as Messiah so that we can put our faith in Him, the perfect one, so that we can be forgiven and restored in relationship with God and have eternal life through faith in Jesus. The Scriptures gives us all the information we know, makes us wise, prepares us, so that when Jesus arrives, we understand. We know what God is doing. In other words, God's Word is essential for us to know God's saving grace. No amount of staring at the mountains and the sky and at crickets God bless crickets. <laughs> no amount of philosophizing and staring at the world is going to give you knowledge of the saving grace of God. Only God's word can make us wise to understand His grace and what He has done in sending His Son Jesus into the world to make a way for us so that through faith in Him, we can be right with God. So you just have to hear that, like a little aside. I know some of you maybe don't go to church often. Maybe this is your first time. You're not even sure what this whole Christianity thing is, or, or you think you know, and you think essentially it's just following these sort of list of rules, the Ten Commandments or whatever, doing a good enough job. And let me, let me just tell you, that's not at all what it is. 
God's word tells us, here's God's standard. It's perfect. He's holy. We have all fallen short. All are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But the love of God is this. He sent his son to pay the price, to pay our debt to God so that sinners could receive forgiveness and God's grace and and, and the gift of eternal life, a life we enjoy now and forever through faith in Jesus. That's it. It's a good place for an amen. So he, he expresses his love for God's word. Why? Because it makes the simple wise. It gives us the, all that we need to know from God to be in right relationship with him. And of course, those of us now who know Jesus, that means all the information we know to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and what it means to walk in relationship with him. He continues, David, In verse 8, he says, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. In other words, apart from God's Word, apart from the Bible, we walk in spiritual darkness, in blindness. We got blind spots. We got spiritual glaucoma. There's things we don't see, but we don't even know that we don't see it. We're blind to our blindness. Because doesn't he go on to say in verse um, 12, God, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Who? How can you even know if you're wrong? So what God's word does is it comes and it shows us that which is true. So that we can see and, and, and it corrects us so that we can see where it is that we, we maybe are walking in error because we live in spiritual blindness apart from God's revelation of who he is and what his way is. Who can discern their own error? What that means is we should expect, and if you're kind of new to the Christian faith, you're exploring that, you should expect that when you read the Bible, there's going to be some things in there that you go, I don't know. No, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't agree with that. Because if that doesn't happen, if it's not in any way different from what you think is best and wisest, what does that mean? I read the whole thing, and you know what? It's got my thumbs up. It's exactly like I think. God thinks like me. He's a pretty smart guy. Like, do you want God to be like as smart as you, or do you want God to be smarter than you? I want my God to be smarter than me. I want Him to be wiser than the wisdom of the age, which is always shifting like the shadows. I want God to be smarter, which means I want His Word to challenge me, to challenge my perspective, to challenge my beliefs, because if it doesn't, that just means I'm as smart as God. And so listen, if you ever experience that reading God's Word by going, I don't know, or I don't agree with that, don't move past that too quick. Be thankful that God... Um, God's sight is better than our sight. David acknowledged that he was sinning even when he didn't know it. In other words, he's saying, God, we need light from outside ourselves, and you have given us the light of your word, which lights the path so we can see things as they are, see that which is right. And good. And so we need to submit ourselves to God's word, not vice versa. 
You should be troubled if the Word of God doesn't trouble you at times. And so, and he'll go on to say actually here, David, in, in, um, he uses six, six different kind of expressions of his wonder in God's Word. The last one, he says, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous, or everyone righteous. He's saying every single word of God is good. It's right. It's not that say hey, some are great, take some, leave others that don't work for you. You got to sift through it and find the, find the good stuff in there. You know, I remember uh, hearing at a church once, the minister got up there and, and he said, let's open the Bible and listen for the Word of God. See, when we open the Bible, we never say, listen for the Word. We say, listen to the Word. Because some people say, God's Word is in here, but it's not all God's Word and it's your job to find it. You sort through it and you, and you look for the Word of God. Our job is not to look for the Word of God, it's to look to the Word of God, right? Because if you're looking for the Word of God in it, keeping some, discarding others, elevating as some is more important than the others, um, then we're just right back to submitting the Bible to ourselves instead of submitting ourselves to God's Word. So we will never say, listen for the Word of God in here. We'll say, listen to the Word of God. Do we submit ourselves to it? David said, every word is righteous, giving sight to the eyes. We need light from outside ourselves. And so he, he's just, he's, he's so grateful. He's filled with wonder that God has given light to those walking in darkness. And, and David probably learned its trustworthiness by trusting it. Not just by blind faith, oh, you say it's the Word of God, that's what it says, okay, but he put it to practice. He, 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 he lived by trusting in it, and he found God to be trustworthy by trusting in His Word. David will say, again, going back to verse 8, he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart to the heart. For him, God's word brought about just a, a real happiness, a joyfulness in his life. He'll go on to say in verse 11, by these words your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. There is great reward in keeping your word, which I don't think means, hey, if you do this thing, God's going to give you a cookie. Right? Like there's some sort of reward that's independent from the goodness of the actual word command. Like when I say to my kid, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. You got to clean your room. I'm the dad. You're the kid. You're, you're going to do what I tell you. You clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Okay. If you clean your room, I'm going to give you a cookie. <laughs> right? Where this kind of reward is independent from the goodness of the actual word. Of, 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 the, of, of the command. That's not what he's talking about when he says in keeping them there is great reward. He's saying if you live out God's word, if you believe it, if you trust it, if you seek to build your life on it, you will find you are experiencing a life of blessing, a life of joyfulness. You will find yourself avoiding the pitfalls that there are in life that other people who don't look to God's word fall into. I am so grateful that I was raised in a family that opened this each night and read it and I learned it. 
Now, just because that happens in your life doesn't mean you believe it and follow it when you grow up. But I'm so thankful for the foundation that I had. And you know what I can say? As I live this out, the parts that I wasn't even sure about, the parts that I thought were exceptionally hard and maybe unfair of God to ask that of a person, when I look back over my now 42 years of life, I'm very smart because I'm old now. My 42 years of life, I, I just part of that. I say, thank you, God. Because I see other people that are my same age and, and younger and older falling into all sorts of pits. And they're not happy. And they're making a mess of their life. And I look back and why not me? Not to say that I haven't fallen into pits. But for the most part, you know, I've tried to follow the Word of God. And I believe in, you know, in, in, when we try to, try to do life His way, trust in His Word, look to Him, even when things don't make sense, we find ourselves experiencing a life of reward, of blessing. You know, keeping myself for marriage, wow, that's, that's unrealistic, that's not even good. I'm so glad I kept myself for marriage. I, I, I'm so glad that what my wife and I have, kind of our upbringings by God's Word and God's people who kind of spoke God's Word and God's encouragement into our lives helped us, helped me get to a place when I'm 42, at, you know, which isn't a perfect life, but I, but I can look at that and go, yeah, yeah. When you try to walk in, 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 in the path of God's Word, he will, uh, in that there is warning, like he says, right? By, your, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Keeps us from pits and allows us to experience great blessings. God's word is life-giving. That's why Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is life-giving. Giving. And you may not be able to always draw a straight line between God's Word and trusting in it and trying to live it out in your life and kind of what you would experience in life. But as you do that, as you practice that, as you look to God's Word, um, just like the meals you eat, you can't tell me most of the meals you ever ate, but every single one of those meals nourished your body and made you healthy and sustained you. You can't always draw the straight line, Right? But there's a connection there. David says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So for these reasons and more, you know, David just found himself in wonder that God would give us His Word. The Bible is precious because it gives us knowledge of God and it gives us fellowship with God every time. So let's talk a little bit about that. Not just knowledge of God, not just knowledge of His way, but it gives us, it leads us into fellowship with God. God isn't just a God that wants to be known the way I know Tom Brady. You know, retired quarterback for the New England Patriots. Let me give me a blank look. You know? or, 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 or someone else, Right? God's Word is there to lead us into actual fellowship, communion with Him. Because look at, I think the words are up on the screen there. Look what the author of Hebrews said, Hebrews chapter 
4. I actually think um, these words might have been spoken earlier today. Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13, for the Word of God is, what does it say? Alive and active. It's not dead. In other words, the other 129,864,880 books are not living and active. They are dead books recorded by somebody at some point with their own wisdom who no, who, who no longer is alive, or maybe still alive, but won't be alive forever. But this word is living and active. It is alive because the God who spoke it is still speaking it. He's still speaking it into our lives. When we read it, it's not God, words that God had said. It's words that God is saying, speaking into our lives, not, not only just in a very general sense, but in sometimes a very personal sense. Like he says, they are sharper than any double-edged sword. They penetrate even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. You can go to that next slide. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. God's Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates right to the heart, right to the heart of the matter, right to the heart of every situation you find yourself. God speaks through His Word when we read it. And so... I think too often when we read the Bible, I don't know about you, but, but we read it, but we maybe don't listen to God, if we're being honest. We don't meditate on it. We don't chew it. If you heard last week, you know the word meditate is the word chew, like a chow, cow chewing its cud, right? I talked about my dog. You give him beef, he swallows it right away. Um... If we read but don't listen, we do not, we're not meditating on God's Word. Meditating means to slowly, to read slowly and to read with ears open to God. You ever been in an art museum? I have a couple times. Not my favorite thing in the world. If you know me, you know I'm not like a highly cultured person. But I think last year we went to the Winnipeg Art Gallery. It was pretty nice. There were some beautiful paintings in there. What do people do at art galleries? They stand and they stare at a painting. And sometimes they stand there for like 30 seconds. Sometimes they stand there for 15 minutes. In fact, I, I brought this here because at last year's Bethel garage sale, I saw this and I, saw, I snapped it up and I put it in my office, which reminds me I probably have to pay Bethel for it. That's a painting by Rembrandt. It's not the original. It's his depiction of the parable of the prodigal son returning to, you know, the sinner returning to the father. There he is. See it? There's the elder brother. It's the scene. And so um, an author I enjoy, um, Henry Nouwen, he's, he's not alive anymore. Henry Nouwen was, a, was an author, a Christian author, and um, he loved this painting. He would go and, and, he, and, he, and he just would go to the museum and he just sat on a bench in front of this painting for hours and hours and just stared at it. And he, and he kind of looked at it and he just kind of analyzed, oh, it needs to be dusted. And, and, he, and he analyzed everything. He analyzed this, this foot down here, the, the shoeless. 
and the, and the soles of the, of the shoes coming off of this one here. And he studied the faces of those around, and he just meditated on the picture, and he, and he kind of listened, right? And, and then he wrote a book, which I've read, a little book about the parable of the prodigal son. It's a really good little book. But what would you think of somebody who um, goes to an art museum and does this? <laughs> did you see? So he was at the art museum. Did you see the paintings? Yeah, I did. I mean, you could do that. You could do it. You saw it. You saw it. But did you see it? Did you see it? You can read God's word, but did you read it? Did you listen to God speak in his word? God meets us. His word is living and active. So I wonder if that's what we do, Christian. Honestly, I wonder if that's what I do. Listen, I'm preaching to myself here. Some of these sermons, I'm kind of like, I'm preaching to you. Some of these sermons, I'm preaching to me. And you know, I, 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 I do this for work. I open this for work. And sometimes, it, if I'm going to be honest, it just loses the wonder. Just God's word. It's just kind of what we do every day. And, and that's what I do. I do this. It, it's just a version of going to the museum and doing this. Saw it, saw it, saw it, saw it. Okay, went to the museum, saw the paintings. Instead of stopping and sitting in front of it and just meditating on the Word of God, open ears, listening for His voice into my life. In fact, in the, this is coming to a close here. In the Psalms, there's a little word that they don't even know how to translate it. It's called selah. Selah, selah. You maybe heard of selah. Um, you know, a Hebrew word. We don't even know what it means. It's 74 times in, the, in 39 different psalms. And at the, often it's at the end of a sentence. And then it just says in the mar- margin, sila. And what they think it means is that's an indicator for those who are singing or reading this to, to pause, to, to stop and listen. Instead of going on to stop and listen. It's a pause to Meditate. And so kind of just, if, if there's a statement I want you to take away, you can throw that James up on the board there. It's this, reading God's word isn't primarily about gaining knowledge or gaining information, but having a conversation. Reading the Bible isn't primarily about gaining information, but by having a conversation because this word is living and active. It's, God is still speaking. They're not dead words. And I'm going to spare you the, the stories in my life of how I've kind of experienced that because it's 1116. Let me, let me just challenge you with a couple of things. Uh, what would it look like for you to leave here and then to go into your life and to pick this up and to not just read it like, you, like the way you walk, could just walk across paintings in a museum, but to actually sit and listen? What would it look like for you to listen to God and experience the wonder of God in His Word. I, what I want to suggest to you is that going into this week, when you open God's Word together, before you get into reading it, that you just take time to talk with God. This is a conversation. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you've made yourself and your way known to me. God, as I go into this, I'm going to listen to you. Would you speak into my life? Would you give me direction? If there's something here specifically that I need to hear and apply in my life, would you make that really clear to me? To enter God's word, having a conversation. And after you finish, just to take time to reflect 
and to continue praying and asking God to kind of show you, to tell you what it would look like to put this word into practice, to not just be a hearer of God's word, but a a doer of God's word. That's my first challenge to you, is to make your Bible reading a prayer with God. Go in with listening ears, meditatively, to take time. And then secondly, to read in community, because Reading God's Word is not just a dialogue with God, it's a dialogue with God's people, with others. And in my own personal experience, I've found that when I, when I read God's Word, when I meditate on it in community, God speaks to me through other people. There's insight, there's wisdom, there's conviction or correction maybe that comes in community. So our faith, our faith is not a private faith, it's a personal faith, but our faith is not a private faith. And so I just want to suggest to you the value of reading God's Word and reflecting on it in community because God speaks through one another um, in, in community as we go to His Word together. And so are you interacting with God's Word in community? We have, disciple, we have life groups, we have discipleship groups, little groups for men and women in this church. Maybe, maybe you're doing it all by yourself and you think maybe, I feel like there's maybe more I could get from this. There's more I could hear from God. Well, well maybe you need to step into community and listen to God's word in, the sake of, in, in, in a place with others. And if that, if that kind of strikes your interest, I would love to talk with you about maybe the benefit of being in like a discipleship group for you. But God's Word is a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's not just information. It's a conversation. Are we listening to God? I don't know about you, but I need a renewed sense of wonder in this. Maybe you do too. Do you need? Has this become a little mundane? This, this great reality that just struck wonder into David's heart that God loves us so much that He speaks. Not just generally in the sky, He speaks specifically to us, individually to us in His Word. This is His love. My prayer for us is that we might have a renewed wonder in His Word. And this story came to mind. I'll close with this. It was World War II. It was a Japanese internment camp. We run by the Japanese somewhere, I think, in Vietnam where they kept POWs, and they were especially brutal to their POWs. And they, um, I think they had a, pe- pe- a variety of people from different countries there, but they had American soldiers there. And um, this one American soldier had his little Bible that he was able to get in there, and when it was confiscated, he was beaten and um, uh, punished for having the Bible. The guard took it. And uh, so he no longer had the word of God there in that, in that horrible place. And as punishment, he was forced to work in the latrine. So for those of you younger that don't know, that's that hole underneath a porta potty where all the poop and pee goes. That's a really unpleasant place. His punishment was he had to go down into the pit, and his job was to scoop it all out. And so one day he was in there, and he noticed a page of his Bible crumpled that had been used to wipe. And he took it, he straightened it up, and he kind of cleaned it off, and he kept it. And the next day, there were a few more, and he realized the guard had taken his Bible and used it as toilet paper as a way to show his disdain for this God. 
So he had it there, and every time the general went to use the latrine, he ripped out another couple pages of the Bible, he wiped himself, and he threw it in the hole. And as this man figured out what he did, each day he volunteered to clean out the latrines. And he would go in there and he would search for the pages. And when he found them, he would unfold them as best he could, wipe off the filth, and he collected the Bible. And in that space for him, it was life. And you know what? I want a renewed sense of wonder in this. I want this for me, and I want this for you to really understand like, how incredible it is. Not that we believe that, but we would live as if this, that this is the most precious thing we could have is the Word of God that leads us to know Him and the life that He created us to have. Oh God, may you just grow within us a wonder for your word. I want us to pray together now. And I don't know how God has been speaking to you. The band's going to come up and lead us in a final song. But I want to invite you into a moment of talking to God. There are wonderful things in the world, but nothing is as wonderful as the fact that God speaks that God has made himself and his way known. So I want to invite you into a moment of prayer. I don't know how God has been speaking to you. What, what would it look like for you to kind of live as if God's word was wonderful? That it was more precious than pure gold, that it was sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Let, let you bow your head, close your eyes, just... Take a moment and talk to God, and maybe you just need to ask Him, God, would you awaken within me this wonder? Would you give me like a deeper appetite for your word? Would you show me, God, how I can go to this and, and hear you, how I can experience your word with others? Just, I don't know how, you know, what you need to say to God, uh, but I know God is speaking to you, and so... Just take a moment and talk with him. And then we'll worship him with one final song. Maybe you just want to express thankfulness to God for his great love. God, we thank you that even though we use that word, God, we, we know that we can also call you Lord, um, capital L-O-R-D, but, but something even better. When Jesus came and he taught us how to pray, he said, you can call God Father, our Father. And we thank you uh, for this great truth um, that to all who receive Jesus, to all who believe in his name, they have been given the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or a husband's will, but children born of God, children born of faith. We thank you, Father, 
that you have not stood aloof from us, you have created, but you make yourself known to us. Not only that we can know who you are, but we can walk in communion and fellowship with you as we go through life and as we face all the situations that we're going to face. And some people in this room are in really hard spots right now. And I just pray, God, that you would just, each one of us, that you would lead us to your word and that your word would become for us just a wellspring of life and joy and peace. Lord, as we are just reminded over and over again who you are, what you have done for us, and how we can experience life. And so, God, we thank you for your love that is shown to us in your wonderful word. Give us ears, Lord, as we go from here into our world, into our homes, into our workplace, into our schools, just to be listening to you and walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.